Welcome to the Music of America podcast, where every week we visit a different state in America and meet a different guest in the music industry. Every day, Monday through Friday. We begin in Alabama and we end in Wyoming. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Let's talk music here on the Music of America. The Music of America podcast continues today. We're in Bay Springs, Mississippi, and a, a friend and a sponsor is our guest today, Bill Landry from Landry Amps. And we're going to talk to Bill about him and his musical past and how he got into building amps after we talk about jingle lingo. It's the jingle that hits like a single. That's the slogan for jingle lingo. It's an advertising vehicle designed to create a unique and personal jingle to promote and position your business and make it stand out above the crowd. Think of all the musical jingles you may have heard through the years. Who came up with that? Who wrote that jingle? Well, jingle lingo can and will put your business into a higher vision and focus on all your advertising needs. Through the talents of accomplished singer and songwriter Courtney Davis Jackson, check them out today. Get to work on your own personalized musical jingle from Jingle Lingo. www.jinglelingo.com Jingle Lingo. The jingle. That hits like a single. So take care of some real simple business first here, Bill. Bill Landry is our guest here, and Bill and I have known each other, I can't even guess. I'm going to say 15 years, 20 years. Well, it's 20, 20 or so. Yeah. It was not long after I met Tom that I met you. Oh, okay. Yeah. And okay. that was like 2001. 2000, Maybe, okay. 2001. Oh, my gosh. Was it that long ago? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Okay. Well, I have since retired, Bill. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, Bill made reference to a guy named Tom. Tom Eckert is like our mutual friend and uh, a running joke in my family and in the my circle of friends is I'm Tom and he's Eckert because we both have the same first name. So when we have conversations about him, we just talk about Eckert and my best friend Eckert, my mutual friend Eckert. And so throughout this conversation, we'll probably, you'll hear us reference Eckert. So uh, it all began to me. I remember it all began in my back room where I had my sound room set up. I think that's the first time you and Wally Trepler, uh, yes. Roger Crow, who was a drummer friend of mine, Eckert and me. I think it was us that all got together. And I don't know what it was, if it was for New Year's or we just got together to jam. Does that sound it right? Was, it was somebody's birthday party. Oh, it was probably Thompson. At your house. Uh -huh. And we ended up, um, yeah, Tom invited me to go play with you guys, to go jam at yeah. this birthday party. I don't remember whose birthday it was, but that was the first time I met everybody in that room, in yeah. that building, except Tom uh, Eckert. Well, we don't. So uh, it, it was in the infancy of me playing electric guitar. I, I was, I hadn't even learned the pentatonic scale yet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm with this guitar master that that makes Eddie Van Halen uh, oh, yeah. look up to him, you know. <laughs> I'm me. So uh, I I brought that up because that's kind of an influence. I've the first song I think, or one of the one of the highlights was hearing you play "Eruption" note for note. That's why I brought the comparison of you and Eddie Van Halen. But uh, let's let's talk about you because really we're we're going to talk about your company Landry Amps. We're going to focus on that. That's really what I want to have you on here about. But you can't get there like you were saying earlier. We can't get to there until we talk about where that came from. Right. And my promo I've been saying from body cast to boutique amp builder. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, well, tell me what happened. How did you end up in a body cast and how did that segue into you playing guitar? Well, I was actually playing guitar before I ended up in the body cast, but oh. um, so, so I guess I, I should start from when I started playing. Yeah. When I was in eighth grade, my family moved out onto a farm in independent out, out from independence, Louisiana. And the first day in school, it was in January when we moved. And the very first day in school, they seated me in, in front of this kid named Sal, Salvador Cutie, C-U-T-I was his last name. Mm -hmm. And he was incredibly smart and funny. And I hear him, he's got his ink pens, he's tapping like he's a drummer. He's playing. And I, and I notice, sounds like he knows what he's doing. And I just figured he was a drummer. He taps me on the shoulder and asks me if I played any kind of instrument. I, and I knew a some chords on the guitar my dad had taught me years before but i really wasn't interested in the guitar yeah but when i told him that he was all excited he said well we gotta get together we got it so at some point probably in the spring of that year we got together and when i heard this kid play i'm telling you tom it, it was incredible we're in eighth grade yeah so he's he's 14 his birthday was in january he's 14 i'm 13 and he's got a univox Stratocaster, which looks exactly like a Stratocaster, except it's got three humbuckers instead of three single coils. Uh -huh. The bridge pickups in the slanted position, just like a Strat. It looks like a Strat, except it's humbucker. And he's got this PV, I don't know, 50 watt, 212 combo amp. And he turns, I'd never heard anything like this. No, I'd never been exposed to anything and very little rock music, actually. It was only top 10 radio was the only exposure I had outside of country music, which uh -huh. I didn't like. Well, Sal starts playing blues on this rig he's got, except he's like a blues shredding machine. The dude, <laughs> dude could flat out shred in the eighth grade. Wow. It just blew me away. I'd never heard an amp with distortion on it or anything. You know, it was very powerful to me. It was like, whoa, it hit me to the core. Yeah. And I immediately was like, I want to do that. And here's a kid standing right in front of me. He's doing it. And so in my mind, it was like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. I was not interested in the blues, but the, the power represented when he hit an E chord and bent up a note, you know, it's like, wow. I mean, he had a great vibrato. He had great feel, great speed in the eighth grade. It was just yeah. mind blowing to me. So that began my journey on the guitar uh -huh. i was so excited to do it yet i didn't have lessons and sal couldn't teach me. sal taught me chords bar chords <laughs> right ninth chords and that was it he just wanted me to play rhythm while to blues stuff and he could do it for hours and hours and never get bored with it well i got bored with it real quick i started picking up stuff off of records when i was 16 it was the weekend of St. Patrick's Day, there was a St. Patrick's Day parade in Independence, Louisiana. And my brother let me borrow his motorcycle to go see a friend in town. And I ended up kind of running into another guy from high school. They had a Honda 750, and I'm on a Suzuki 750. So we had to go race. And <laughs> I ended up in a creek. Oh, no. Later in a body cast. So I was, well, I was in traction for a month and a half 
and then in a body cast for three months at home. Oh my gosh. And so when I was in the body cast at home, they set me up a little record player next to me so I could play records and learn songs. Uh -huh. And uh, I didn't have an amp or anything like that. I had a little, uh, at that time I had a, a Japanese made copy of a Telecaster mm -hmm. that it was a great playing a little guitar. And I just sit there and pick stuff off a record. I, I learned, do you feel like we do when Your I was in the podcast? Yeah. Um, so let me, cause this is audio only. Let me, let me try and imagine this. So your body cast is what from your the top of your knees all the way up to your shoulders, or okay. So on my left leg, the only thing exposed was my toes. Uh huh. And on my right leg, the cast went down to just above the knee. Wow. And there was a brace that went across the legs to to keep you know like like a letter like the letter A. Sort of, except the the brace was on a slant. Oh, okay. Uh, and then it came up to my chest. Wow. So uh, without getting into other gory details about it, that's that's what it was. I'm in this permanent position on my back and they set me up. They had brought a, a hospital type bed at homes mm -hmm. with the bar so I could do pull ups and things like that. Yeah. But I was on my back for four and a half months. Well, and so really didn't have much to do but practice the guitar. And so that's what I did. So. I apparently got a lot better during that period because people what else you're gonna do, about right? like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, it's weird because I didn't perceive the progress. I was always frustrated uh -huh. thinking I'm not as good as I should be. And I could only practice in spurts. I couldn't spend an hour playing the guitar. I could play it for five, 10 minutes and I get frustrated and put it down. Uh -huh. Well, next thing you know, I got to pick it back up. And so I'm doing it and over and over and over. But I thought about it constantly. I thought about whatever my struggles were, whatever I was trying to figure out how to synchronize my hands or understanding note phrasings. And just I didn't know anything about scales or I, I, I knew nothing about music, uh, you know, from a, a theory or anything. It was just sounds on a guitar and you put your fingers here and you get sounds. You right, right. String, you know. And you make songs out of these sounds. That's all. That's all it was to me. And well, you had you like, had some. No way. You had some musical background because your dad had taught you chords, so you knew you had a working premise of music. I knew chord names. The what they call cowboy cowboy yeah. chords. Right, right. Uh, but my dad didn't really know how to play. He taught himself mm -hmm. from a book oh, as okay. an adult, actually. And he liked country music, so once or twice a year. He would pull out his, his acoustic guitar and, and he'd sit there and try to play through by ear songs mm -hmm. that he liked. And it'd be very basic, but he never could. He didn't play enough to be fluent at it at all. Right. Right. But as a little kid, I wanted to be like dad, but so did my other six brothers. <laughs> so we all at some point when we were probably eight or so had dad teach us some chords on the guitar. Yes. Spend time with our dad. But that died out because, like I said, it was six other ones. I didn't know you had six brothers, dude. Oh, yeah. Six brothers and two sisters. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really have any interest in the guitar. The interest was in spending time with my dad. Right. Not until I met Sal 
that I actually had interest in the guitar because now I'm like, wait a minute, I like what that does. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I had no interest in the country music that my dad liked. Right. You know, it just didn't do anything for me. Um, and I'd never heard, he wouldn't allow rock music to be played in the house. So there was no such thing as radio or records or anything. Wow. Rock was being played. So as I got older, I would hear about Led Zeppelin. I'd heard Beatles stuff because that was played on top 10 radio. Um, uh, but like Bad Company and oh, all the bands that were rock bands that were, you know, forging new ground in the music field. I'd heard names, but I was not allowed to hear them until I was probably 16, 17. Yeah. Started hearing about Rush. I started being able to go out and hang out with these other musicians who they knew all this stuff. They had record collections and stereos and stuff. We didn't, I didn't have anything. Like <laughs> you had a radio. You had a radio in your car, maybe, right? <laughs> I didn't even have a car. Uh, oh, wow. No. Um, my record collection consisted of Neil Diamond. Um, oh, what was the song? I was like in elementary school and I, I got this for Christmas from my mom and dad. Uh, what is it? There was a song "Alone Again Naturally." I don't even remember who did it. Gilbert O'Sullivan had the had the forty-five. Yeah, Neil Diamond. I can't think of what the song was. There was that was my record collection. Was these three forty-fives that I got for, and there were songs that were played on on top ten radio. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And so anyway, once I once I heard Sal, that's all I wanted to do was play guitar and that led me into you know my first real band i was 17 we were playing boston zeppelin kansas and foreigner all kinds of stuff that was whatever was out at the time and uh so it was just very exciting to me um and since i didn't really i never had a teacher to explain anything or direct me. It was just whatever I could understand from picking out songs on the radio. So it was my ear was, I, that's what I was guided by, it was my ear. And it's kind of funny looking back because to me, back then, guitar tone and guitar player were kind of just one and the same. You know, mm -hmm. when you hear Eddie play, you hear, you know, you don't just hear his lips, you hear his tone. It's all it's all that same package. So what you hear is just this thing. That's the combination of a whole bunch of stuff. Uh -huh. And when you hear Led Zeppelin, you hear um, what's his name? Uh, Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page and that Les Paul and that Marshall or that Telecaster and that Supro or whatever he's playing on at on whatever record it is. And so that's what you hear. And I never made the I never understood what makes those so those sounds so different. And then Peter Frampton, I picked out that song and some other stuff on that record. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that is a really good tone and really good touch. His, there's so many things in his playing that are so musical. His dynamics, um, his note choices, his, yeah. you know, when he bends a note and his vibrato or, it is so many subtle things in Frampton's playing that that helped me out a whole lot. By you're only, now, at this time, you're only 17, 18 years old, right? Well, when I learned of Frampton, I was 16. I 16, actually okay. turned 17 the day I got the body cast off. 
Wow. That's, that's where, where I was going with that. Though, was you're already in tune to what the value of tone. We're at 15, 16, 17. I'm just learning how to play chords. I'm just wanting to stay alive. And you've already learned not only the value of tone, but finding ways to, like, tone already spoke to you without, it I don't did. know what to say. It's, it's like tone spoke to you and said, Bill, this is what you're looking for, and kind of set you out on a quest, right? Well, I wasn't, it's, it's funny you ask it that way, because I didn't know I'm trying to say it. I, I had not yet. I understood that. Wait a minute. There's a big difference in this guy's tone and this guy's tone. Uh-huh. I didn't know why. I didn't know anything about gear. I, I didn't know amp names or anything. I didn't have pictures to look at. I didn't have videos to watch. Mm-hmm. I just, what I hear. Oh, Al Demiola. You know who that is? No. Oh, he's a phenomenal uh, jazz fusion player. Okay. Well, at the time. Um, my brother picked up a hitchhiker, my oldest brother, and he brought him over to the house to have to give him lunch. And this guy had a cassette of a band called Return to Forever. And he says, this is the best guitar player in the world. This is before I was in a body cast. And he said he's 19 years old, this guitar player. And he puts this cassette in. And it's Chick Corea's band called Return to Forever. It's mm-hmm. it's all instrumental, jazz fusion, some Latin influence, jazz and rock, and all sorts of progressive, very complicated music. But this guitar player, his tone, he sounds like a heavy rock player, but he's playing this crazy syncopated jazz based crazy music. But it was phenomenal. His his performance, his precision, his between his hands, it was the synchronization and speed and fluidity and tone. All these things, again, I'm like, there's another big difference. Didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Guitar players' styles changed and tones changed a lot. And I had the, my first amp was an old Fender Bassman, which was great for playing 70s stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you get into the 80s and it's like, well, it sounds a little bit wimpy. <laughs> it doesn't have the uh, the the gain. It doesn't have uh, the the I would say balls. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have the kind of crunch. There's a lot of things that were not in that amp for doing the '80s stuff, but it sounded great for the P- Peter Frampton and the the earlier '70s stuff. So again, it's another one of those things that goes in the brain and go, wait a minute, there's a big difference there. What is right. that? Why are these so different? Interesting. When you were talking, uh, I was thinking of Guitar Slim, you know, introduced distortion on the amplifier so much so that that inspired Hendrix. And Hendrix so inspired so many more people. Mm. that. And I, I went immediately in my head. I immediately went to Townsend, you know, who immediately went to Jimmy Page. Right. And just that that whole tonal evolution. Like, if you could chart that out on a timeline kind of thing, you know, yeah. who begot, who begot, who begot, like in the Bible, you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, it spread like a fire. It really did. Once somebody heard, say, Hendrix, I, I don't know who, who really caused it to spread, but I know Hendrix himself. Once somebody heard, because originally amps were built, nobody ever thought of distortion, playing with distortion. Right. It was all clean. Mm-hmm. And then somebody made that distortion work in music. They made it serve the song. Like, whoa, wait a minute. You got this whole other thing available now. Right. And that's what the power was. You listen to a, a little 
a Fender, but you know, anything in the fifties and stuff, guitar played with this really clean tone. That's not powerful. That doesn't, you know, punch you in the gut. Right. right. It, it might sound nice and it might be exciting depending on the tempo and the, the music itself, but that's not what hit me. <laughs> it was that distorted that amp cranked yeah and sal playing a power chord and then bending up a high note with a vibrato on it making that thing sing that's what grabbed me and i can imagine that's what grabbed a lot of people when they heard him sure. when they heard page doing it when they heard eric clapton doing it and all those guys of that era that jumped right on it and incorporated distorted amp tones that became what they play they they wrote song it inspired music it inspired playing it's so dynamic it's so yeah. powerful you know let's do this let's do this because now we've established how we got to where tone meant something to you and that's going to segue us into talking about amplification okay. and what you do but i want to do a commercial and okay. i want to play one of your songs okay now people don't know this you know this because i've shared this with you but uh when we first put this whole podcast thing together, I wanted to have some kind of sweet sounding music to go with it. Right. And, and, uh, you put together some songs and one of them we're going to listen to right now. It's, it's called, it doesn't matter. And, uh, that's yeah. my outro music on okay. this podcast. And I, I, I didn't even listen to this. I mean, I listened to everything, but then I had to figure out which one I wanted. So I based my intro and outro on the title of the song. Oh, wow. Cause the the intro is my other me because i'm retired now so this is my right. other me right. that makes sense right and it doesn't matter because i'm i'm not getting paid you're not getting paid so we're just doing this because it's fun right. it doesn't matter it doesn't right. matter if i get one listener or a thousand listeners i dig this and i dig having people on like like you talking like this so it doesn't matter it just those two just fit so perfectly <laughs> cool cool so, uh, these are all instrumental songs and uh, Bill Landry's the uh, main lead guitarist, right? Uh, well, it's, it's Mike here? and I share. Okay. My Mike Abercrombie. Mike Abercrombie, yeah. Mm -hmm. He, uh, it's a complete collaboration. The the my other me was predominant. Mike came to me with that song, but it was it was much had a lot more going on um, parts wise, and it was kind of confusing. And uh, he asked me if if I would be interested in working together with him and and he wanted to help promote my amps is the way he posed it to me and i listened to that and i go yes if you'll let me clean this up and if we can work together without fighting over things and i don't remember exactly how i said it but you know yeah. there's got to be if somebody wants to cut out a part of your song you can't be all offended you know, if you want right. to be the best that it can be, you got to you got to work to that end. So he's like, well, yeah, sure. So we just trimmed off the excess. And once we did that, it made room for the way it sits now. The, the my it, That's all Mike um, is, is for it. Mike wrote every every part of that song. I just rearranged it and gotcha. made it flow better. And then I do a solo in it. So if you listen to that song, Mike is playing what would be the, the, the melody if it was vocals, and then I play the guitar lead in that song. And then we kind of switch it in It Doesn't Matter. Okay. I do 
the melody and then Mike takes the, the lead on the end of it. If oh, that yeah. makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you think of it where I'm playing guitar where vocals would be, I'm mm -hmm. doing I'm doing the vocal part and Mike right. does the, the and outro. He does the lead where the lead would be, right. And so that's kind of the way we like to um, approach our songs is that uh, like as if we're doing a vocal, uh, the guitar is doing a vocal melody. We're not just trying to shred all the way through it, you know, gotcha. trying to keep it musical and interesting. And, and Mike's well, like me, we're both just self-taught and learn by ear and, and don't really know much about the technical side of music. Well, it's the kind of song that I could sit down and listen to an album of instrumentals. That's uh, that's that's say that. It's, no, it's just it's really cool. cool. I, and this takes I'm going way back, but uh, it was Rory Gallagher that I listened to back in the 70s where I could I, I cared more about the guitar work than I did. And I'm a lyric guy. You know, I'm a, I'm a vocalist. I'm a lyric guy. But it was the guitar work of Rory Gallagher that really got me going where I wanted to listen more to the to the music side right. of it than the lyrical side of it. And that's what I find myself being transported to when I listen to your, your solo work. No kidding. It's really cool. Yeah. But we're going to play it. Uh, the song is called, it doesn't matter. Our guest today, Bill Landry from Landry amps, Bay Springs. And uh, it doesn't matter.
from Bay Springs, Mississippi, Bill Landry, the Music of America podcast song called It Doesn't Matter. We're going to get back to Bill and talk about the transition of tone and how that leads to amp building. I was talking to a friend of mine about my brother's couple's workbook called Two Years After Forever. It's sort of a how-to guide to improve your communicative skills, which, as anyone knows, relationships is important. So as we spoke later in the conversation, I mentioned the book again, Two Years After Forever is the name of that book I told you my brother wrote. She interrupts me and says, oh, oh, your brother's book. I thought you meant a book that you borrowed from your brother. Three little words, my brother's book, two interpretations. Well, in Two Years After Forever, there are exercises that help you form better communicative skills to avoid pratfalls like that one. Along with your partner, learning and applying these exercises help you get back on track why, two years ago or so, you pledged a life together forever. Two Years After Forever. TwoYearsAfterForever.com. Available at Amazon today and forever. My brother Mike wrote that book, by the way. Bill Landry, our guest here from Landry Amps. And so we've gone from why tone became important to you or how you discovered tone or how tone found you basically and drew you into its world. So now you want to replicate tone. And is that what got you into discovering amp amplitude or amp amplification, I guess is the word I'm looking at amplification and how things work. Like what's the transition from that to building amps? Well, this goes back to our mutual friend, Tom, because uh, I met Tom Well, I met him once um, I was a carpet installer, and Tom knew this guy, Dan, that worked in the office at this carpet installation place that I worked for uh-huh. because of the audio file. They, were, but they, they knew the same people and, and had bought and sold audio file gear. Oh, that's right. That's so, right. Yeah. Because Tom was a high-end stereo guy. Yes. Yes. One day, I needed to buy a car stereo for my wife's car. And I mentioned that when I was in the office and Dan says, Oh, you got to, you should talk to Tom. He had just bought up some, I don't know if I even remember this, right. I think he bought the inventory at some little shop that had gone under. That's exactly he what he did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I had met him one time before at the carpet place because he was there to meet Dan or something. I, I don't remember the, the scenario, but I know I had met him once. And so I knew who he was. So they gave me his number and I called and went over to his house about this car stereo. And I walk in the door and he's got this Paul Reed Smith McCarty. Yeah. Yeah. On on a stand right in front of a little sundown combo amp. And I forgot about the old sundown. They were both new at the time. And I walk in, I was like, oh, you play guitar? He's like, well, yeah, do you? And yeah. So that got us talking about guitar and he's like well he turns on the amp and he wants me to to check it out and this was so funny because you know i don't know tom at the time he turns on the amp the guitar is just gorgeous it's beautiful this blue i don't know if you've seen this guitar yeah yeah. oh it's beautiful guitar turns on the amp now right off the bat i know i'm not a fan of combo amps it's a little 112 50 watt amp i don't know Mm. anything about that brand or anything about that amp but i know open back combo cabinets that's not the tone that i go for so he turns it on and i start to play and to me the whole thing sounded horrible (laughs) i hear from the guitar i hear this weird upper mid-range tone that's kind of poking me we call it bees bees in a bag no not the bees it wasn't sound it was like it was just an upper mid-range frequency that it's not high enough to be the bees it's just uh kind of okay 
nasty tone that that's I can't dial out. I can't get rid of it. And so after just a few minutes, I try to play things and it's it's nothing but a struggle for me. So I just put it down. And Tom's looking at my body language. He's reading me. Mm-hmm. And he says, so you don't like it? And I'm like, well, it's it's not my kind of amp. You know, it's not my kind of rig. And he says, well, uh, what don't you like about it? And I realized it didn't it didn't take very long to understand. See, I'm trying to be polite. I don't want to cut down. Right. You just what, met the guy, right. I don't know anything about what he thinks about this gear. Uh-huh. And I insult him. And so I'm, I don't want to say anything bad about it. But he keeps pushing. And I realized at some point he really wants to know. He's not uh-huh. asking. He's asking because he really wants to know. So I thought, well, okay, let me let me describe to him what. And then he asked, what, what do I play on? And so I told him what I play on. And he was not familiar with it other than it's a closed back 412 cabinet. Mm-hmm. With a, it was an ADA MP1 preamp at the time and a, and a stereo power amp. Uh, but it's a completely different world of tone than this mm-hmm. little rig here. Well, I ended up buying a stereo and we, we, we talked a lot that day, Tom and I. And that just got me going on this whole other thinking about the tone, like how one guy. He thought that was supposed to sound great. Yeah, yeah. He bought it. But he didn't he didn't think it sounded great. And he didn't know if it was him or if he's hearing what he thinks he hears. You know, it's that whole confusion about you just spent a bunch of money on something that's supposed to be great. Why don't I feel great about it? It's like me and my coach. <laughs> so, but that really it was just another thing that 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 entered in um that whole quest for for tone and understanding the differences in tone. And, and at the time I had a pretty narrow spectrum of what I liked tone wise. Once I got into discovering what's available, when you start building an amp uh-huh. started from the very simplest, well, there's so much more to the story, but I know we're short on time. I have to leave a whole bunch of it out. <laughs> there's another Tom that comes into the picture, Tom Rogers, the audiophile guy. Oh, okay. He and Dan knew that they were. He I've heard Tom Rogers before. Yeah. Well, Tom taught me some very basic things. The other Tom, mm-hmm. <laughs> Tom Eckert kept telling me, "You got to meet Ro- Tom Rogers. You got to meet Tom Rogers." And at some point, I did, and it was a whole bunch of cool things happened. And Tom Rogers ends up teaching me some very basic things. He didn't know guitar amps, but he understood tube circuits, like really in depth for, for audiophile stuff, and. uh so I start playing around with one tube, trying to get that to, to work. And then, okay, now add another tube and another gain stage and another one and another one. And so during that process, I start hearing things that, that were familiar to me, like, well, wait a minute, that sounds like a Rolling Stones kind of tone. And the more I'm, I'm now looking at it from the inside. Yeah. I go, I'm sitting there thinking, like, you're not, you're not going after a tone. You're you're hearing well, not yet. I was yeah, right. But you're hearing like like you just said, like you heard that, like oh, that sounds like this. I'm trying to understand how it works. How you? But you're it. also hearing a difference in tone. Yeah, and yeah. now I'm hearing these really simple, clean, and very mildly distorted tones as I'm working my way through understanding how to build this thing. Yeah, I had some ideas in mind of where I wanted to end up, but almost it was a long way from a long ways away from that. But this process led me to a very interesting thing that I didn't realize at that time. So 
go back to when I first learned to play. I'm hearing guitar players. And like I said, I didn't separate the tone from the player. They were one and the same. Mm -hmm. But I recognized that this guy was different than that guy and in, in everything about his playing, his tone and his playing. But I was listening to the playing predominantly. I was not listening for the tone. I was thinking about uh, what you were talking there, about the contrast of Southern man, Neil Young, and that real high bang, 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 and try and have that tone and still got the blues. <laughs> it doesn't work. Or take Gary, Gary Moore and put yeah. that in with Neil Young's Southern man. It doesn't work. They're both really unique and cool tones for that song. That's what you're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. And, and to see that, that was, a, that was a lot of, that was a big growth process for me to, to yeah. have my brain make that flip to where I'm not listening to a player. I'm listening to the tone. Uh huh. And now I can appreciate a lot of music that I couldn't appreciate before because I see how these tones really are good and they, they do a job, man. They, they serve that song and that's what yeah. it's all about is serving the song. What you play, your tone, it should serve the song. And that was, that was just new for my brain. <laughs> Two of the most brilliant things you've said in this conversation was that and, and that there's no bad tone. Yeah. That tone for that song. So if that song doesn't work, maybe look at the tone, musicians. You know, yeah, maybe that tone That's right. is the wrong tone. I mean, I've, I've been reading magazines and stuff for 20 years, and it seems like so much emphasis, at least the last 10 years, 10 or 15 years, so much emphasis on tone, you know, that right. became the conversation of guitar playing for the last 15, 20 years. Right. Right. Now it all makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like light bulbs are going off over here. I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And I get that. That's yeah. so fun. You know, tone, the tone is, is so, it's so interesting. It's fascinating because that tone is inspiring to other musicians. Whether yep. they recognize it or not, it's because a, a player can play a note, but if the tone is wrong for what he's playing, it mm -hmm. won't inspire much, you know? And, and, and by the same token, when the amp tone sounds the way the player wants it to, it, that tone inspires his playing, you know? Got it. Yeah. yeah. And when it's wrong, he's going to fight it. It's going to take away from his musical fluidity his his musical inspiration it'll it'll rob him and he's busy fighting it rather than enjoying playing it right and i don't know it's it's a well it's <laughs> it, it, in one of the one of the land reamp commercials i i talk about i say you know you're at this gig right you set up and you're tweaking and you're tweaking you finally get that tone right yeah, and then the owner of the club comes up and says, "Hey, uh, can can you turn it down a little bit? Because it's you know it's kind of people are trying to talk here, whatever." Right. And then everything that you spent all that time building that tone, and now you got to change it. Well, one of your amps fixes that, and we're going to talk about that. Okay. Okay. After we play another one of your songs, this song is called "Spring Jelly." We're going to play that just so people can hear another song of yours. Okay. All right. Uh, cool. And I got to I got to do a commercial, and then I want to talk about that amp. And another amp of yours. Okay. That you can, the, the one that you can turn it all the way down to almost a whisper and you don't lose tone. And that's yeah. a Landry amp that we're going to talk about. 
after we hear this the song is called spring jelly with bill landry from landry amps <laughs> One song called Spring Jelly with Bill Landry from Bay Springs and the Music of America podcast. I'm your host, Tom Pollard. Discover your celebrity at the newest, hottest, most interesting and fun live music show to hit the scene in 50 years. It's called Flash Jam. Whether you perform live music or enjoy watching live music, Flash Jam has something for everyone. It's in Colorado right now, and they're looking to expand around the country. But it's a dynamic way for musicians to come together, perform, compete for both recognition and, and prizes. Whether you're new to the stage or an experienced musician, Flash Jam provides an exciting platform to collaborate and showcase your talents. So here's how it works. Musicians 
in that market, when Flash Jam rolls into town, musicians get alerted that Flash Jam is being done at, we'll just say, the Music of, Music of America Concert Hall, all right, or Bar and Grill, whatever. You'll get sent a list of songs. And let's say Bill Landry really wants to say, play You Really Got Me, and Tom really wants to sing that, and Eckert wants to play drums on it, and Vula wants to play bass on it. We all sign up for that song, and then we go to the do drop in or wherever it's being performed, we all get together. And then the MC will stand up and say, okay, who's doing, you really got me. And we all stand up and we go up on stage. We have learned and practiced our parts individually. And then we play them together on stage for the first time. Existing bands are also featured because an existing band like, like modern vintage might get together and get up and play comfortably numb and see how that compares to the musicians that did you really got me and then the audience gets involved because they vote on which act they like the most it's really fun it's a, a real interesting concept on live music you know and it's coming to a market near you it's called flash jam welcome to the show i'm so excited about that thing bill that i can't wait for it it scares the hell out of me but it also sounds really fun it does. you know I, uh, and I think about like the first time you and I did uh, Still Got the Blues, I, I never heard the song. And that. Tom wanted us to play it together. And it was at a, a place called Lemons in St. Louis. And I had listened to the song enough, but I didn't know anybody could play it as soulful as you did. Hmm. And so I got up and I sang it a little bit. And then I'm like, I'm just going to sit down and shut up and watch. Anyway, Bill Landry is our guest here uh, on the Music of America podcast. Bill is one of our sponsors on the show, meaning that if you hear about Landry Amps, this is the guy. This is the guy we're talking about. You go to his website, you go to his YouTube site, and we'll talk about that in the shameless self-promotion of, of of the show coming up. But right now, so now where we are, we're Bill the musician. Bill finds out about Tone. Tone finds Bill. Now Bill wants to build a Tone machine. Ooh. What a progression. That's I mean, that's how I see it. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah. Um, the one I like cool. about, the, I like to talk about the most, and and I get them, I think it's, is it the LS30? The one that... Well, they all do that. Okay. You we're describing, they all actually do that. They That's, that was one of the requ requirements for me when I built my amps, is you can't play loud anywhere. So... Good. You got to have an amp that sounds good, not playing loud. So, <laughs> you know, um, and people spend a lot of money on a lot of gear to try to make vintage amps that really need to be played loud for certain yeah. types of music, anyway. Right. Um, uh, to try to, so you turn the amp up and you put a power soak on it or an attenuator of some kind, try to suck it down to where it's usable. Um, and some of those have success and some not so much with certain gear. Uh, but I wanted my amps to be able to just do it where whatever room you're in, you can set the volume where you need it to be <laughs> to serve, yeah. you know. But you won't lose tone. Yeah, yeah. And so once I came up with my original LS100, the, the way the master volume worked on it, it, it did that. You could turn it down i could turn that thing down to it's a whisper and enjoy practicing with it uh-huh it's not going to sound the same as if you've got it up to where it's it's really working 
but it still sounds good. It doesn't lose all its girth. It doesn't become just this thin, crispy sound. Um, and well, depending on your speakers and a lot of things, but um, it's it's all it's usable at any volume, and never sounds. In fact, I had a guy uh, email me the other day. He's got one of my original LS one hundreds, and he's got a bunch of amps. And he, in fact, has <laughs> what most people wish they had. He's got one of these setups in his basement where he's got all his amps and he's got switches where he can just select what amp and what speaker cabinet, like in the old oh, stereo wow. shops. And, um, and he says, one thing I like about your amp, you can't make it sound better. Uh, you can't make it sound bad. He said, there's not a bad tone in that thing. Uh-huh. And, I'm, you know, I just love that when 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 a musician says that because that's my whole goal is it goes back to that day with tom tom was so confused about why that little amp didn't sound right to him mm -hmm. and i wanted to build something because okay it's something we haven't talked about yet tone and playing right there's yep. this there's this connection that's made between a player and his gear now it goes all the way through from the player to the guitar to his cables to whatever pedals he's got, to his amp, and to his speaker, and then back to his ears. There's this feedback loop. Right. And when things are dialed in right for that musician, he's just in love. He's going to play. He's going to love what he's hearing. He's going to love what he's playing. He doesn't have to be the greatest musician, but there's, some, there's a connection made there, and it's very personal. And as a person, the longer you play, the more the more refined your your uh, understanding of your instrument the more your understanding of your tone the more refined that gets the more specific your needs become like you had mentioned earlier you know when you're when you're 15 to 16 you don't know the difference between one amp and another amp you don't know what amp is going to work with you you don't even know what your needs are right you don't even know you have needs you're just trying to figure out how to play and the more time you spend on that instrument the more focused you get the more defined and precise those needs become but when you've been playing 40 years you got very specific ideas of what you need uh, when you hit a note you have an expected response right you expect a response and if the amp doesn't give it to you there's something lacking there's something missing there's a disappointment there's something so you could start turning knobs you start trying to get that response back from the amp some amps will give it to you some amps won't if you can't get it out of your gear, you need different gear. Right. You know? So my understanding of how personal that is, what one guy loves, another guy can't stand. Right. So there's no one amp that does it all. But I approached my amps from, I figured if, I, if I'm excited about it, if I love it, somebody else is going to love it too. Yeah. Somebody with similar taste and, 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 uh, desires and needs of their gear they're going to love it too now all i got to do is make sure i'm excited about it and you mentioned earlier that, that that i i figured how you said it enthusiastic or something well it is because i love the tones that i get out of my amps if i don't love it ain't nobody else going to hear it yeah. i guarantee you that i gotta love it before i'm ever going to make a video of me playing on it because i can't play it i can't play through an amp that i don't love you know yeah right right they ain't gonna work there's, there's right. another mutual guy that that we've met through tom you've met glenn once yeah, i think yeah right. glenn glenn camp he's a southpaw 
And he taught me years ago when it comes to guitars, if you don't love it, don't buy it. Right. You know, and it's the same thing. You know, with if, if you if you're not getting the tone out of that that you want, it doesn't mean that that amp is bad. It's right. like what you said again about tone. There's no bad tone. It's just not the tone that you want. Right. Okay. Right. I have changed my tastes so much, and I'm still a Fender guy. I mm-hmm. still play. Tom will bring in a new amp. You know, and I haven't played electrically with my 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 friends in Missouri for six seven months. I sit around here and plunk Ray, plunk around on a. My, my acoustics and stuff i'm so looking forward to when i get back to missouri and finishing the studio i'm building at my house to have guys come over just right. to play to see now because i know after having been exposed to the music i'm exposed to in vermont tone means so much more to me now right. than it did even six months ago right. i'm i'm excited and afraid to play through my strat or my my, my fenders now you know <laughs> well you know i wouldn't be I, I think if you, you could tweak that attitude just a little bit because you may find that you want more than just what that amp is going to give you, but still what that amp gives you is very good. Yeah, It has its place. It does what it does very well. So you've got whatever you plug into it and, and that amp, whatever that combination is, it does something really good. So maybe you need to get something else in addition for a, to serve another purpose, yeah. Maybe you can get there with some pedals that will tweak that in, you know, turn that into something different. Um, but I, I just I don't like frowning on gear on anybody's yeah. gear, yeah. Because man, people have made Fender sound phenomenal. People have made Marshall sound phenomenal. I mean, just to play, you know, yeah. All that had, stuff is good. I had an old Fender basement head, hundred watt basement head. That I stumbled across and I plugged it into my uh Koch 412 box. Mm. That was the best sound, best tone I've ever and I'm not you've heard me play. I'm not that good. I'm not bad, but I'm just not that good. You know, <laughs> like I play guitar. You're a guitar player. Big difference. Okay. <laughs> uh but the tone that I accomplished with that combo, that basement with that speaker box using the the cable that I use and the room that I played in or whatever was one of the the purest the happiest tones i've ever had that i've been comfortable with so much man yeah that's that's gear you shouldn't get rid of so that's let's so tell me about a landry and and we'll plug this a whole lot more in the in the last segment coming up here in a minute but what makes a landry amp stand so far above or separate if i buy a landry amp i'm buying it because of what because of well the, what what can I say? Okay, the things that I went for from the very first amp I built, I, I refuse to build an amp that's a one-trick pony, right? Yeah. I, I have no use for a one-trick pony. And and what every, every amp I build is something that I'm going to play on. I would gig with it. Uh-huh. And so when you turn the knobs, they got to do something. Yeah, there's no knobs or switches on the amp that, that you when you hit them, you go, well, I don't hear any difference which I've plugged into some amps that that's the case, you know, right. well, what's it here for? It's not really improving or taking away. So um, I, it's got a built-in digital reverb. It's not the same as a real high quality reverbs, but it is a good reverb. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not going to break on you like a spring reverb can do from jarring around. I've had that too many of those break. Um, there's a, 
the versatility. It's got an effects loop that's killer. It's transparent and it works with a ton of gear, including pedals. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't kill your tone. It doesn't suck your tone. It's part of the circuitry that makes the tone. Um, the massive volumes work great. The clean channels work great. Uh, you don't have to sacrifice like in gear that I've had in the past two channel amp where, well, if you make your distortion channel sound good, your clean channel sounds terrible. If you make your clean channel sound good, your distortion channel sounds terrible. Yeah. That's what, what's the purpose? That's just businessmen selling you something because it's got knobs and switches. Yeah. It's not usable. And I, I, I just won't build something like that. You know, <laughs> my clean channel has got to be a great clean channel. And I have a couple of different ones, depending on which which amp it is. It's dirty clean or pure clean. Um, the distortion channel's got to be. It, it's got to be awesome. It's got to sustain. It's got to. Yeah. And, and they clean up when you roll your guitar volume back. So you got that clean in addition to the clean channel, which they're different. It's not the same thing as going to the clean channel when you you know roll your guitar volume down. So it's just versatility. I love versatility and usability. Everything I build, I, another logic that I applied, okay, it can't be a one-trick pony. Right. I can't have knobs and switches that don't do anything. Everything's mm -hmm. got to mean something substantial on the amp. Yep. It's got to make a, a, a real difference. That's One guy would say, oh, I prefer this way. Another guy might say, oh, I prefer the switch in the other position. But somebody, you know, they're, they're viable. They're equally right. justifiable. But it's got to be as simple as it could be and still do the job, still have the functionality that it needs. So when you get on stage, first of all, there's not a, a steep learning curve to, to learn how to dial the amp. It's a little different than most people's amp, the way it's laid out. But you got two channels. So you could think of it like you got a clean channel, a clean amp and a distortion amp. If you uh -huh. thought of it that way, then you would know how to deal with your clean amp and you would know how to deal with your distortion amp. For some reason, some guys, when they see all the knobs in one, they get a little intimidated. But you uh -huh, don't have right. to be. It's, it's really simple if you just back up and go, okay, clean channel, that's one amp. Then the next row is the distortion channel. You got all your knobs there. It's it's really simple. And you can blend the two of them with the channel volumes. And then you got master volumes to go up and down with the whole thing. And uh, I find it very practical the way I laid out my amps the way it they, sounds extremely versatile the they use. extremely versatile are versatile yeah and i try to demonstrate that on my videos um i'm to really do it i would, I would have to make hour-long videos and yeah. nobody's gonna watch hour-long videos <laughs> well, uh, we're I, gonna let, let's do this i want to i want to put this last song in here so then we can come back and, and tell people how they can find and sample a landry amp okay. and uh Maybe if we got time, plug a little story in there about Kansas. Okay. Oh, okay. So uh, this song, the last, the last song we're gonna play is called "My Other Me." And it's actually, if it sounds familiar, it means you've been listening to my show because this is the song we use for our intro. It's Bill Landry with Mike Abercrombie again, right? Yes. And uh, Music America podcast. And the song is called "My Other Me." One, two. He hasn't gotten in the room yet, but it is eleven thirty, which is. Like
My Other Me with Bill Landry and Mike Abercrombie again. We didn't really talk about that song. My fault. Bill, tell us a little bit about that one before we uh, wrap up and do the shameless self-promotion segment. Okay. Um, that song and actually all the songs, they're, they're the reason that Mike and I did wrote these songs. Well, it was all Mike's idea originally. To He wanted to help me promote, promote my amps, mm -hmm. right? And one of the things, if you, if, you go, if you go to my YouTube channel and see any of my videos, you'll, you'll find out quickly all my videos are recorded with the camera only. Same camera I'm using here. Well, this is audio, but right, I'm using right. the same Weird. camera. Right. Um, it is a, a Zoom Q2N 4K camera. And it, the, it, the audio is really good. It records a stereo like most Zoom products, I think. I use two microphones and an X pattern, so it picks up a really good stereo image. But it's also a very natural recording. And I record all my videos that way so that the, the person watching the video can really get an accurate representation of what it sounds like in the room. And that became a big thing to me, the in-the-room tone. Yeah. And um, so when Mike approached me about getting together and writing some stuff to promote the company, okay, yeah, let's do it this way. We do a backing track. One of us, some songs Mike plays the bass. Sometimes I play the bass. Recorded on my amps. Um, Mike did all the drum tracks on his computer. And um, and then the video that you hear is us playing live to that backing track recorded by this very camera that I'm using. Right well, I'll here. be doing. Okay. So it's the tone in the room. And if you go on my, on my YouTube channel, that's the playlist. It's called the tone in the room. And so all of our original songs, there's like six of them, uh -huh. were recorded that way. What you see in that video is Mike and I were playing it live to the backing track of the bass and drums. And on one of the songs, there's a there's an additional clean guitar track that's we couldn't pull off live, so it's, <laughs> it's on the backing track. But that was the point was, this is the tone that you can play in your room and it sounds great but it also sounds great in a mix. Gotcha. You don't have to play with, I, I've talked to a lot of guys that in the studio, they, they end up having to play on rigs that they're not used to playing on it. And they, their tones are, are manipulated specifically for recording and they end up with a, in a great sounding mix, but mm -hmm. they got to fight through that unusual tone, a tone they're not used to. The tone that's not giving them everything they necessarily want. And it's sometimes it can be a struggle. And so with these songs, I'm like, look, this can sound really good. Just set the way you want it in your room, put it in a mix, get it on a stage. You don't have to destroy your tone. Yeah. <laughs> you a good mix. So that's what, that's what it was about the, 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 the songs. One, the song one thing that, that came up when you were saying that, and, and this goes back to something we were talking about earlier, whether it's the guitar, the cable, the pedals, the amp, the box, the wood, blah, blah. so many variables make up tone. So if I'm watching your video on my TV versus watching it on my phone, am I getting the same value, the same tonal value? Well, that's, that depends on your gear on your yeah, See, that's what I'm saying. So, so oh. people can't necessarily experience the photonal value of a Landry amp until they played through one. That's true. And unfortunately, the only way you can do that is to buy one. Is to buy one. <laughs> yeah. See I'm, the segue? I, see the segue here? 
I wish I wish I could have my amps available in stores, but that has not worked out. I've made several attempts over the years, and yeah. for one reason or another, it's it's like it, it's just not something you're going to find in in stores. How many can you build? Years. How many Bill? How many amps can you build in a year? Not a whole lot, uh, right? Because I'm the one I do everything. Yeah, I'm the only one here. When I build an amp, I have to play on that amp and burn it in. Uh huh. So I can build it in three days. Now, once I have all the parts, I don't make the cabinets. My cabinets are made in, in St. Charles, uh, Missouri. Okay. So when I get the cabinets and I have my chassis made, they're they're made up, up in Michigan or something like that by a metal fabricator. Once I get everything together, transformers, parts, it only takes me three days to put it together. Mm-hmm. But then the next three or four days, I have to play on it and burn it in, make sure all the components are working right. like they're supposed to work. It's not just an electric test to where you make sure everything is on. It's got to sound right. So right, I have right. to burn it in and play it. And usually I end up making videos, private videos to send to the customers. But I have a, a Bill's land of misfit guitars that I can choose from <laughs> and, <laughs> and plug in to try to achieve different tones to, to communicate to the, to the customer what his amp is sounding like and sometimes that means i got to tweak something here or there yeah uh sometimes it's just like okay it's, it's doing great and a few more days of burning it in once it passed all the tests and, and i approve it sonically then i can box it up and send it so it really takes more than a week for that process to happen and then so it's not quite one a week is the answer to you. Okay. Coach. Yeah. Oh, I was going on one a month, maybe two. No, well, I I could easily build three a month. Okay. That would that would be a comfortable scenario, but there, you know, this was all the ordering and sure, and and, and with with and production and supplies and all that. That you're at the mercy of your suppliers half the time too. And then but, there's boatloads of emails and phone calls. You know, yeah. a lot of people don't buy, but they have a lot of questions. Um, well, one guy, one guy is is uh, we we can see a land ramp on tour this year, from what I understand. Actually, I don't know if it actually made oh to the tour. Okay. I've wondered about this, and okay, you talking let's, let's, about? I'm talking about um, Kansas. Kansas. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Rich Williams, dang! I was—I've been a fan oh. of since, since I first heard him, which yeah. was the Left Overture album, and uh, they were the second band, second concert or third concert I ever went to, and so I get a call from Rich Williams. This would be last November, like the first week in November. I don't remember the date he called, but I remember the date we met was November 18th. Uh -huh. was the last show they did in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi, and or Biloxi. I guess Biloxi. I always get those two towns. So do I. <laughs> so that was the last show of their tour of last year. And the funny thing is, this goes through St. Louis, though. Um, you might know... Uh, um, Man, I'm drawing a blank. Talking about the oh, Kansas geez. the Kansas tribute band? Yes. Yeah, I can't What's remember either. I don't remember. Uh, James Comparato. Yeah, okay. Great guitar player, super nice guy. 
Um, I only had the chance, the opportunity to meet him once when I lived in St. Louis. And after I moved here, he bought one of my amps used. Oh, wow. Um, and well, there's a whole long story behind that, but James ends up with this amp and he calls me and he apologizes for not having come to my shop sooner. Oh. <laughs> he was one of these guys that was intimidated by all the knobs. Yeah. Yeah. And he wouldn't even want to plug in. He had no interest in it till one day he did. This amp was sitting at this guitar tech shop and it was for sale. And he ends up plugging into it and he bought it. And then he sent it to me to get updates done on it. And then he just loved it. He ended up buying an LS30 as well. Well, he, because he's in this Kansas tribute band, ends up meeting Kansas played, I think it was at the Fox. Okay. I was thinking it was a casino, but it might have been the Fox. Someone had arranged for the tribute band to meet the actual band, the real band. And so James and Rich Williams became friends. And so they communicate pretty regularly, if I understand it right. So once James Camperato had his Landry amp, uh -huh. he was talking with Rich Williams, who had been for at least nine years using an Axifex amp modeling rig because they're so convenient on tour. Yep. And if you look at the photos of Kansas concert, the, their tour that they're on, you'll see there's no gear on the stage. All he has, a, he has a stereo speaker cabinet, uh, two speaker cabinets on the side, kind of facing up at him. Mm -hmm. But there's no line of amps. There's no back line. And so the modeling stuff, you can plug direct in and just come through monitors and go direct to the mains. So it's a different world of doing it. And he's been doing that a long, long time. And he finally said, the hell with this. I want a tube amp. I want real tube tone again. And so I met with him. I brought an LS30 and, and my 100 watt. And he chose the LS30 and he ordered one like the next week. Yep. The idea was, he told me then that they were this year in spring, they were going to start this 50th anniversary tour. And there was a lot of promo going ahead of it and stuff. And for that tour, he wanted to build this new rig, still stereo, but the heart of it is this LS30. Yeah. And his guitar tech was there and they were work, going to work out all the details and stuff. Well, the thing is, he lives... I think in North Carolina in the mountains, him and his wife and okay. the band is based out of Atlanta now. Well, I shipped the amp to him, but it's not with the rest of their gear. And all of a sudden they got a bunch of dates booked pre 50th anniversary tour. So they basically started a tour uh -huh. without having the chance to build that amp. That oh rhythm. no. <laughs> So, and they've been playing. I get notifications on Facebook. They they play almost every night somewhere. Wow. And that tour is still going on and with no signs of stopping. <laughs> oh, I just don't know. And, I, and I'm not the kind of guy, I'm not going to go, hey, Rich, you using that amp yet? No, I, I'll let him. I mean, it's his, it's his deal. I, I'd love to yeah. find out that he is using it. I'll well, ask him. <laughs> I'll ask him for you. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. It was exciting for me. Just I got to meet him. I mean, that's that neat, was huh? just so cool. 
Yeah, yeah. This guy's been doing this so long. 50 years. And that man has been through so many members um, since the original uh, format. Right. Uh, but they're still great. Me and my brother got to go down and see him that November 18th, and they were great. Oh, they, cool. The show was so good, and it's just Kansas music. And, and I was watching people in the audience. Um, there was a lot of young people that they're, they're, it's not like they lived through the. Right. But you know, their parents or grandparents now. <laughs> yeah. Listen to them and introduce them were, to them. So. They were totally getting off on, on the show. That's so cool. It was the response from the audience was so good. And, and to me, it just thrilled me to see all these young people that are loving this music because it's just great music. You know, how much of it they heard before? I have no idea. So, Bill, this is the segment of the show we call Shameless Self-Promotion, although most of the show has been, you know, promoting Landry Amps because that's, you know, what I wanted you on here for. But let's let's find out if somebody wants an amp, how do they hear them? How do they sample them? What's the best resource? Does it contact you or go to your YouTube page, go to your website? What what would you suggest? Well, um, for the specific details of it, you can go to the website. If you want to hear my, uh, my, I've got a bunch of videos of, all my models, except the latest one, which there'll be videos coming sometime soon. Um, the latest is called the G4, but the the I have videos of all my models on my YouTube channel, Landry Amps on YouTube. Okay. And, uh, and that's that's the best I can do. They're not available in stores. So then my phone number is available on the website. That's my cell phone that's sitting right here. So. I'm the only one here. When you call, you get me. So um, I'm happy to answer questions. Christmas is coming up. It's yeah. not It's not an inexpensive Christmas gift, but it's a really, really, really cool <laughs> Christmas gift if somebody gets their own boutique Landry amp. And again, contact you through the website, contact you through your YouTube site, or I've actually got a link to your website on the music of america podcast website itself so if you're listening to the podcast through the website my website or this website there's a link to landry amps you just go down toward the bottom and you see my sponsors and you click on that and it'll take you right to bill's place i just remembered i'm also i have a facebook page too for landry. oh okay good i have videos there too so do you do uh other social media do you instagram twitter no. tiktok no okay well you and me man social media yeah you're not and we're missing the boat apparently i'm missing missing the boat because i'm on facebook and i'm not on instagram or something and my my kids are telling me no dad nobody uses that anymore (laughs) oh well Well, i just can't i I, my life is in a different right i understand on social media you know And, and i don't put much of my personal life on facebook or on any social media it's just it's just a way to get my amps sure. seen and, and uh, for people that are looking. But I don't want to spend time, you know. Gotcha. Well, Bill, thank you. This has been a pleasure. This has been uh, 10 times more entertaining and interesting than I thought it was. And I knew it was going to be entertaining and, and interesting anyway. But you, <laughs> okay. you, you, you explain your process and how you got there so clearly, succinctly, and and in and and enrolling it's really neat thank you well thank you thank you for having me on here our guest bill landry from bay springs and 
Up next, we're going to Jackson. We're going to meet Naomi Taylor. You've been listening to the Music of America podcast. If you like today's show, please go to the website at www.musicofamericapod.com or our Music of America podcast Facebook page. Like us and follow the show and episodes. We tally the votes of all our shows, and the most listened to shows will be rebroadcast on our best of shows at the end of the season. I look forward to having you with us again and listening to the Music of America.